Welcome in to the All Things Go podcast, episode five. I'm your host, Derek Yoder, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Murphy of Stuart Haas Racing. And Brian, before we dive into the show format this evening, I want to congratulate you on a major achievement that you were recognized for at SHR. You are the three-time Biffle Award winner, which is bigger, better, faster, lighter. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, we had our Christmas party last Friday uh, at the Protagonist Brewery down in Charlotte, and they, they, you know, put on one hell of a party for us. They had amazing food, um, you know, obviously some great drinks, and it was great just to get everybody from the shop together and, um, you know, kind of reflect on on this past year and um, kind of thank all the, the family members and wives that allow us to do what we do. Um, so, but yeah, uh, we hand out usually uh, four or five of these awards every year to the people that kind of go above and beyond or, you know, kind of show um, a lot of improvement. So uh, my third one, it, I definitely was not expecting this. This was, uh, you know, it, it meant a lot. It means a lot to be recognized by your peers. And uh, so a lot of great, a lot of great uh, things happening at the Christmas party for for a lot of people and for a lot of different reasons. Well, I know, uh, you know, you and I certainly don't like to necessarily talk about ourselves, but on this show, we got to recognize uh, accomplishments when they are had. And there's going to be a lot of days over the summer where maybe you're wishing that we don't talk about anything because uh, maybe something happened at the track. But I wanted to congratulate you and, and honor you. And uh, I know everybody out there in the All Things Go podcast community will uh, be happy to hear that. So congratulations. And you were just talking a little bit about SHR. Anything new going on uh, at the shop? I know it's a little bit quiet right now uh, around these times, right before uh, Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, um, you know, like I said last week, we finally got some cars, some clips, so we're starting to put some stuff together. But um, kind of just like you know, the week before Thanksgiving, um, right now, a lot of people are starting to take some time off that they had, uh, you know, still had left and are able to go back and see their families, you know, wherever that may be. And um, so this next week and a half is definitely quite a bit slower probably our slowest time um, as, as we, you know, celebrate the Christmas season. And, uh, you know, when we get back from Christmas, you know, the, the second, so we basically have a week, a little over a week off to, to travel and see our families. Um, when we get back, things are off the chain busy. So uh, it's, it's kind of great to, again, get one more, you know, breath of fresh air as we head into one of the longest seasons in, in professional sports. Um, so, but yeah, we, we got some cars we're getting together, um, you know, kind of putting some, some stuff together for the clash, maybe get to start working on a 500 car, uh, beginning of next week, just kind of see what we got. Again, we have some new noses, new body parts. So just kind of fiddling around with those parts and pieces and trying to get a better idea on what we need to do as we get closer, uh, to, to arguably one of the biggest events of the year. So, um, but yeah, not, not much going on. It's, it's again, just nice to have another little breather before we, uh, all hell breaks loose, I'll say. So with the nose and the body parts that are going to be a little bit different this year, will that be noticeable from a, a fan's standpoint, from a viewership-wise, whether you're watching it at home or at the track? I mean, the noses look a little different. Um, you know, again, a lot of the changes were made for performance reasons, whether it be uh, the cooling, uh, making sure that these cars don't overheat, like we kind of saw at a, a couple, very few, but a couple events last year mainly with the the toyotas and the chevys so uh, but everybody was able to make some updates um you know 
this year you are only allowed to make updates basically a post forward so noses fenders hoods um, they they all have a little bit tweaking done to them visually they look a little bit better a little bit closer to you know the, the real life cars that they're supposed to replicate um, and on the performance side again we still have to go through the parity testing so um, everybody's still in the same box um, kind of can just you, you can adjust slightly on some of the things you're looking for in 2022 that can you know maybe help your own program um, or each manufacturer as we head into 2023 so not much big difference um, you'll have to look real hard to see some of the changes on the Ford for sure so how about around the garage you know that's a little bit about SHR and I know you're well connected throughout the industry so anything going around uh, on around the garage at all uh, you know do you guys chop it up a bit or anything going on around amongst uh, any of the teams no, I just really this past week, I think almost every team had their Christmas party. So um, it was really cool to see that across all social media platforms, you know, the different parties, um, you know, the different things each team does to to thank, again, the people that put in the hours and, and the families that allow us to do it. So, um, but again, it's been, it's been a real quiet week this week, which, uh, um, you know, it's fine. Just not much going on. I think everybody's in the same boat, just kind of getting a few things here or there and starting to to put them together and learn before, uh, um, you know, January kicks off. Well, one thing I did see that a team posted on their social media channels, it was JGR. They posted an electric cup car uh, doing, you know, pit stop simulations, if you will. And they were highlighting some of the uh, aspects of that electric vehicle. Now, I know there's been some talks here recently in the last few months or so about, you know, maybe moving to an electric car, maybe, maybe not so much in NASCAR cup series, maybe it's Xfinity or uh, even trucks. Uh, you guys have an electric car uh, cup car style, if you will, at your shop. And what did you think about uh, that JGR social media post? Yeah, we definitely don't have anything uh, electrified at, at SHR, um, you know, but, but for what Joe Gibbs is using it for on, in their pit department, it's a, a really smart move. Uh, you got to remember, these guys do, um, you know, hundreds of stops a week and, and the amount of abuse, not only just throwing tires around and and uh, changers, trying to get up and down and around the car and the jack man jacking the car up. But uh, these cars have to stop, you know, all these times, whether it be firing back up, going in reverse, stopping and then going back in into drive and then driving into the pit stall and slamming on the brakes. So. These cars go through a ton of abuse mechanically. We have people that are constantly maintenancing these cars, constantly resetting them up for the um, the particular track that we're going to next. Um, so just being able to, you know, have an electric engine kind of power that takes out a lot of the issues that, you know, and the maintenance that we see in, um, you know, in a normal aspirated uh, pit stop car. So Definitely a cool, cool project. I'm sure they learned a lot, not only for, not really on a performance-based um, side, but, but you know, there's a lot of things that you could use that technology for, um, whether it be pit boxes or, or um, really anything throughout the, you know, the shop where you could use that technology and, and use what you learned kind of building that car. So, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the electric electric side goes in NASCAR. Obviously, you know, the hybrid um, motor is something that was planned for uh, even possibly up in, up in 2024, if I could be wrong there. But I think you're right. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard. It's tough. We're kind of seeing that in Indy as we'll, we'll kind of chat later with Chris where, um, you know, we're supply chain issues and, uh, you know, just getting all these parts redesigned and, and fit into these new cars is a much bigger task than I think really anybody is realizing. So whenever we go to hybrid, um, you know, that'll be an interesting movement, um, especially where you see it in an oval where it's, it's, you're not stopping as much. You're, um, you know, where you go to Martinsville and then you'll use the brakes a lot where there'll be a lot of regeneration, but it's some of these tracks where you're just wide open the entire time and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, an interesting move in, in technology that we're going to see here in probably the next five to six years for sure. Yeah, that's going to be uh, interesting when we can listen back to this conversation, you know, the first one on the podcast where we were talking about it. So uh, I thought that was cool as well by JGR implementing that uh, makes a lot of sense because you guys do run those pit stop simulations, you know, every day, countless times to get those crews ready, you know, because they're preparing for various uh, cars as well. So uh, really kind of cool on that side. I want to do a little track talk. We did this last week. Uh, it was a favorite amongst the uh, community. So figured we kind of go back to this conversation. And one track we did not talk about was Nashville Fairgrounds. Um, I know there's some conversations going around and there have been for quite some time about the city versus the track. So I uh, wanted to kind of get your opinions on that. Yeah, Nashville Fairgrounds had another uh, board meeting this week where they discussed um, and presented a lot of the ideas coming from Bristol Moore Speedway where they would you know, potentially take over um you know track operations so you know i think we, we've we all seen how uh, diligent and and all in and and um you know I, no one really does it better than bristol more speedway and, and smi so uh we're seeing what they're doing with north wilkesboro um i really don't think you could ask for a better um company or or entity to to take over a track like this if if it if it doesn't indeed happen which i don't know the more you dig into it the more you see um how much uh emphasis is being put on on what a big just another amazing facility this this has opportunity to be uh, for so many different reasons for so many different series uh you know it is getting pushed back obviously but some of it is is not necessarily not wanting it to happen, but just maybe where the money comes from or how it's going to happen. So in my eyes, I see this I see this happening within the next two or three years. There's a lot of construction that's going to take place. I don't know if you've seen the drawings. I mean, this place is going to be beautiful. They have the MLS stadium there. So there's a lot of things that they have to work around um, trying to improve parking conditions and, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the ability to, again, just to to hold 30, 40,000 people requires a lot of, um, you know, concessions and, and all those other things that, that they're going to have to look into. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to happen. I'm really excited. I'll be curious if it does, where the date comes from. Uh, like I said, I, I kind of tweeted, I foresee a date probably having to come from Bristol. If, if we do indeed go to Nashville on the cup side, um, you know, you have Nashville super speedway, you know, I love that place. I hope that doesn't go away. But uh, to have Nashville Fairgrounds, two at Bristol, um, an event at North Wilkesboro, uh, yeah, we are we are really oversaturating the market around here, and and that maybe that's fine. But there's going to be a lot of possible events, even in just the Cup Series, uh, that that could possibly take place here in the next couple of years. 
Yeah, yeah, like you said, that'll be interesting to see, you know, when that track does hit the uh, schedule, uh, what that looks like. That'll be around the same time as the new TV deal happening as well. So uh, a lot to be excited about in the future. Uh, but in the here and now, you know, uh, one thing that is coming back is North Wilkesboro. And there's a lot of conversation video. Um, they had a media, t- I guess you can call it a media tour, if you will. Matt Weaver was there. Brett Baldick was there. And uh, Alan Cavana was there, a couple guys that I know uh, that were at the track recording and taking different content. So uh, did you happen to see any of those videos? That place, uh, I'm sure, looks vastly different than what you were when you were there uh, in May. Yeah, they definitely have some uh, some good improvements coming. I think the biggest thing is they're still going to preserve um, a lot of the history. Uh, they still haven't said exactly how they're going to do it with, uh, you know, a lot of the um, you know, Winston Cup murals and things like that. Uh, they're not painting everything. They want to have the same feel and you know, the same ambiance as, as we had back in May and, and, and what they had in the 90s. So I think they're doing an incredible job. Um, you know, the softball project looks like it's coming out great. They're not having to tear too much of the track up. Um, you know, just, just so many things that aren't yet finished, but you can see her coming down the pipeline pipeline as they, you know, either, either remove a building or kind of clear out some grass or the garages. So uh, it's going to be super fun to see how that project plays out and, and all the great things they bring to the speedway as, as well as kind of honor the, you know, the history, like kind of like we talked uh, a couple episodes ago, um, you know, just that, that's a big part of this track and and not taking that away. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how everything continues to get built because we are only six months away from that event, which sounds uh, kind of funny to say out loud. But May will be here before you know it once uh, everything gets warmer and uh, there's going to be a lot of work that obviously is being done in a short amount of time. So the other thing that I wanted to kind of point out from a track perspective, and we called this out last week, uh, but I had a couple of requests about this and iRacing released a video uh, on their platform, their simulation of the Chicago street course. To your point, it looked a little bit, you know, that there's some racy uh, elements to it. There's passing opportunities, if you will. Now, you and I are both Green Bay Packers fans, so I have to admit, it was kind of cool to see uh, Soldier Field out in the distance in one of the straightaways and then downtown uh, in a couple uh, turns later. So, Kind of a cool visual element from the driver's perspective, and uh, I didn't know if you happened to see that at all. Like I said, got a couple requests uh, to kind of bring that up. Yeah, I remember seeing a video somewhat like it when they first announced it, but I don't. This one seemed a little better. Um, you know, obviously they had to figure out a lot more in the last couple of months as since they've announced it. So, but again, you know, I don't know. Some people are, are don't seem very happy about it still. I know they took an event away from Road America, which is unfortunate, but. Um, there's still a lot of pushback on, you know, the track layout, uh, how much passing they think there's going to be. And, and again, I'm going to go back to the, the supercars and, and what they do on the street courses. And, you know, this course looks wide in a lot of places where you are going to be able to put some moves on people and really test the braking and the tire grip in these uh, Gen 7 cars. So, you know, I, I haven't seen much changes coming down. Um to do to really adjust on anything when it comes to the short track or road course aspect of things you know there's still a bunch they could do you know when it comes to tire compounds and and small aero adjustments but i I don't see anything coming where we're going to see a massive shift in in body panels or 
removing right. the underbody or anything like that. So um, <clears throat> I'm still really excited to see it. I can't wait to see these cars on that course. I think it's, I think it's going to be a good show. I'm really excited. So, um, you know, I hope I'm right. I hope they don't prove me wrong, but uh, you know, that track layout looks, looks very racy in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to provide with a, a lot of, uh, required body panel replacements when we get back to the shop after that race. So I, I see a lot of carnage and a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying you're looking forward to it now and we'll talk, uh, you know, the week after that event and we'll see how you're feeling then. But, uh, yeah, definitely think it's going to be a good event and the people that aren't excited or looking forward to it are the same people that weren't looking forward to the Coliseum and that turned out well. And they're also the same people that are disappointed rightfully so that Chicago land speedway is no more. So, uh, I yeah. think that's, we also those... got, a. we also got to remember, you know, we tear these cars down apart door tops down, like we said, every race. So if they want to tear the doors off and tear the suspension off, you know, putting on a good show or going for a win, that does not hurt my feelings. So, yep. Uh, well, I was just you know, I was just going to say that, too. NASCAR has a history when they go to new tracks or new uh, events that there's always a show. So uh, and, and in July, not to get too far ahead, obviously, but uh, for you, you have the Chicago you know, street course race and then you have Atlanta Super Speedway Sunday night. So uh, <laughs> that'll be a fun packed, uh, you know, couple weeks there at the very least. But. Uh, you know, I, I know we're pulling some some strings here and trying to figure out what all to talk about since it is the off season, and, and I think we've been doing a pretty good job the last couple of weeks. One question that uh, I had, I was on a podcast, the Flag Hunting Pod, uh, recently, and and they asked me, you know, if you could run NASCAR for an entire week, what was some what would be something that you would change that would stay in existence for time being? I said bring back the uh, hot pass uh, channels where you could have that in-depth uh, kind of audio visual. Uh, I think they ran it back in like 2006, 2008 might've been uh, around there was the last time. And it was such a cool dynamic um, opportunity when you're watching it from the house and uh, kind of getting to know the drivers, the spotters, the crew chiefs, their lingo and uh, some of the channels there. So I was kind of going from that and then some streaming opportunities. Is there anything, if you were given the keys to NASCAR, is there, what would you do for, you know, for a week? Anything you would change to make the sport even better in Brian Murphy's eyes? Um, man, kind of a tough one. Uh, don't know really where to go, but you know, one thing that I always, I always like is, um, you know, when I go to the sports car races, the ability to move around with general mission, that's kind of one thing I've kind of brought up multiple times over the last couple of years is I'd like to see more general mission seats at the racetracks where people can um, move around more and, and take on different viewpoints and, and be able to, uh, you know, really kind of experience a race from more than just a single seat like we've seen in NASCAR for really decades. Um, you know, even even when I bring family members to Charlotte or circle tracks, I love to bring them down really close to the fence and, and let the rubber and the dirt just fly in their face uh, and then bring them up to the top of one so they can really see, you know, the max speed as these cars go through the corner and and again, maybe move down to turn four. So I, I realize there's some seats, um, maybe majority of seats that need to be paid for where, where people do you know, that's premium seating for multiple reasons, whether it be viewpoints or um, the, the available amenities within those. Uh, but I, I'd really like to see more general mission across the tracks, you know, not just road courses, but especially road courses uh, like 
Roval where you have people just again sitting up in the stands watching the race if they could those fans could get to the infield quicker get more up and close more up uh more personal with the teams and and you know what's actually going on I, th- I think that would be a big move a great move for uh the fans and and the teams uh across the board so uh again general mission tickets I, i'd like to see more of that I like it. That, that's a good that's a good thing to implement. I know, you know, I've been fortunate the last number of years now, especially this year in 2022 and being able to go, you know, track passes, sit in some suites and watch the races. But I think my favorite experience this year was at the Coke 600 in the sun deck and just being able to kind of stand in the middle of turn three and four. I uh, stood on a chair and just got to watch the action right in front of me. It was a $40 ticket that they really did a good job. It, it was not a bad seat in the house in that realm. And you could do a lot of walking around and, and uh, kind of get different views. So uh, I agree with what yeah, you're saying. I, I like, I like what uh, Richmond and Phoenix did too, with the infield, uh, those, yeah. those fans, those garages, it is in Talladega too. They, they kind of have a similar feel where uh, the, you can get right up in, in the uh, gr- garage and really see what we do and yep. and how we work and get autographs and um, maybe get a view different view, uh, vantage point of the race. Uh, but again, those those tickets, I think they actually you have to pay to get down there, and that's kind of defeating the purpose a little bit in my eyes. Um, you know, I I know I don't run a track, so <laughs> it's it's easy for me to sit here and say that uh, I think that's kind of strange. But I think it's kind of strange. Those those that needs to be again part of your ticket to be able to get down there and and see the garages like you do in NHRA or sports car or a lot of other uh, racing series. Well, if anybody out there is listening, planning to go to a race next year, uh, I definitely, like Brian's saying, definitely uh, advise you to get that pass or get those extra tickets. I know at Phoenix, you know, being able to chat with Ryan Blaney a little bit, he was signing probably 200 autographs after qualifying, and it was just awesome to be able to chat with him for a brief period of time and just see how, you know, uh fan friendly he was it really was living up to what he's known for so uh good conversations there uh any final thoughts before we jump into our interview with chris wheeler nope i think uh we covered about as much as we could cover unfortunately hopefully uh you know next week we can bring a little bit more um you know to have a a really fun pre-christmas episode but uh until then again um you know thank you everybody for listening uh we reached uh, I think our record number of listens on a show, record number of listens in a day, um, and it's it's again been been great to see how this plays out. And and please send us your feedback, send us questions, send us whatever you can to help uh, help us make this better for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, well said, Brian. And like you said, I mean, without the community support, you know, we're not able to uh, grow. So uh, thank you to everybody listening out there, and uh, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Wheeler. We now welcome on a very special guest, Chris Wheeler. Chris, there's a lot to be excited about in this conversation tonight, and I know uh, we're going to be diving into stuff from your consulting company. You have the co-host of the Racing Family on Twitter Spaces. We're going to be talking some safety elements in the motorsports world as well, and so much more. But uh, I want to start the conversation a bit different tonight and talk a little college football I know you're a big USC football fan and quarterback Caleb Williams just won the Heisman. And although the team came up just short a few weeks ago against Utah, I have to imagine you're feeling pretty good about where the team is at going forward. I wasn't mad when they lost to Utah regular season. I was, I thought it was a good, just gunslingers match. 
it was going to come down to who had the ball last, and it did. Utah got the win. Come back to the Pac-12 title game. Caleb Williams was leading the program. Lincoln Riley doing a great job with the staff. And I was bummed to see Caleb Williams get the injury at the halftime. And as soon as he mm-hmm. kind of lost the ability to break, to break containment, um, it was pretty much over. But I think that, uh, you know, the Heisman Trust, they did the right thing by selecting him for the Heisman Trophy. Um, the statistically saying, I mean, the, the kid is absolutely phenomenal. Best part is sophomore. So, you know, yeah. when you look at that, I'm super pumped. I mean, I remember the Pete Carroll era um, like it was yesterday. I was at Notre Dame for the push for the Bush push. So, okay. yeah, you know, Big tons fan. of memories and to see them fighting back this year and to, and to kind of bring some of that spirit back was great. And I'm, I am super excited to see what next year holds. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, so we're talking about college football, Mike Leach uh, passing away. I know he was a, uh, uh, you know, in that division coaching for a good bit. So, uh, yeah, definitely enjoy this time of year with the bowl season coming up. I'm a Penn State fan. So, uh, I, you know, I was kind of hoping, hey, we might get to see you guys, you know, if the committee did not select you. But obviously with the loss, it kind of changed some things. But I know we were just talking here as well before we get into some of the motorsports conversations. Well, uh, real quick, I got to say, if yeah. you're a Penn State fan, I was at the that Rose Bowl game too when they came back. The USC came yep. back to meet Penn State in the final seconds. Nope, I will uh, act like you did not say that. That goes ah! back bad memories. Uh, ah! I remember exactly where I was. And uh, yeah, that was a, a wild comeback, uh, you know, with you guys. So anytime I see uh, Dalton, I'm like, I get uh, bad memories. So uh, like I said, we're going to act like that didn't wasn't just said. But uh, we were talking right before the show started. And uh, I understand that you're a golfer, uh, a pretty good golfer, I would say. Well, it's look, it. To phrase how good somebody is at a sport like golf that is more mental than physical, it's hard. It's hard to actually quantify, you know, what good means. I think at least that's what I tell myself. Um, you know, but what? What? How did you phrase it? I'm a scary twenty-one handicap. Yeah, you said you're. Yeah, you said you're a scary twenty-one, and and that made me think. Oh, okay. You know your you know your talents on the course. You're probably shooting right around that, if not slightly below. Do you have any hole in ones? None, none, no. It, okay. Par threes are my are my are my my nemesis in life. If you give me like a dog leg par five, and my okay. seven wood isn't acting up, then we're there in two. But, um, but no, it, it's it's golf is great. I get to play with a lot of cool people. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time over the years playing with Sebastian Bourdais, and we were both terrible uh, prior to his 2017 accident at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Mm-hmm. And the whole time in rehab, I thought, wow, cool. Maybe, you know, there's this, all this hardware in your pelvis will help you stop rotating your <laughs> hips so quickly. And um, you'll be able to hit the ball great and the ball great. But then honestly, like golf is, is just blown up. I think it can, t- I remember being a kid watching Tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, he will always go down as the greatest of all time. Um, and so I remember those moments as a kid with my aunt, who's a golf pro in Florida. And sitting there and watching these things unfold in history. Um, and I always loved golf, but it wasn't always the cool thing. Right. And now, the, what is it? It's bro golf, pretty much, is, is what it is now, uh, is what they're calling it. And uh, I'm pumped for it. I embrace it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited that younger people, I still consider myself younger, I'm 36, that more young and younger people are experiencing golf. Um, you know, you don't have to have pleated plants and a braided belt and saddled golf shoes, you know, to, to enjoy it. And so, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've brought a little bit of our own culture into it. I'm looking forward to kind of how golf continues to evolve because right now we're playing an absolute ass load of golf on the IndyCar schedule. 
I like it. Uh, two things. So I, you know, I know you said that you're not a great par three player. Uh, that's not your skill set per se, but uh, let's mark it down on the all things go podcast right now in 2022, you're going to have a hole in one in 2023. And I want you to come back on and talk about that. So we're Deal. speaking that into existence. And Deal. then the other thing is who is the best IndyCar golfer and who's the worst. Wow. So that's tough. Um, putting you on the spot. It's all yeah. things go, you know, we're, that's, yeah, that's no, no, I, I mean, honestly, I think um, I haven't got to play with Scott McLaughlin yet, but I, I'm friends with him on the grit. Okay. Um, and McLaughlin slaps like he, he shot, he shot some great rounds. Um, uh, ben Bretzman, who's with him, he's his race engineer from team Penske seems to be pretty solid, but I get to play with guys like Jeff Darks from Aaron McLaren um, and Bob Perona here in Indianapolis a lot. And those, um, a few of them were in an event called the fall classic together after the season ended down in Charlotte. And I know they played tobacco road and a couple others. And I think Bob Perona came back on the three day tournament and won. And so it's, it's cool. But like Larry Foyt is a nine handicap and he has one of the most technically sound swings that I've ever seen a human do. Um, when when it comes to worse, you know, Benjamin Peterson, he'll be an IndyCar rookie. He's come a long way in one year. He moved here a year ago for Indy Lights. And he, he started with, like, a used set of golf clubs. He bought off a homeless guy at a street corner um, to having, like, a proper set of golf clubs. And he hits the ball well now. Uh, but I think Hunter McElroy is probably the worst because, I mean, he can drive the ball 310 yards if he hits it right. But that's about the only club he can hit. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Benjamin. Or Benjamin has gotten better, and Hunter McElroy's got to be the worst. Okay, so that's perfect. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, whether you're up in Indy or you're down south in Florida, I'll be down there in about three weeks. So uh, hopefully at some point we'll get to play golf here uh, sometime in the near future. It sounds like a lot of guys uh, within that profession are, are doing that. So, uh, you know, obviously thanks for, for joining us. I know we're excited to talk to you about a number of different topics and um, I know it's the off season for you guys. We were just saying that the season starts up what in uh, March. Is that correct? Yeah. First, well, we're going to head to Palm Springs in February, I believe for spring training. it will be a first time we're going there to do that kind of like a preseason two day test at the thermal club, but then we don't go okay. racing until uh, March 5th in the streets of St. Petersburg. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So that'll be here before, you know, I know Brian and I are oftentimes talking about how, you know, excited we are for the NASCAR season. He works obviously for Stuart Haas Racing, so uh, you know he's a lot more excited than uh, maybe I am because I'm not in the shop. But uh, it'll be here before we know it. Yeah, it's it's interesting too. How I mean, I just saw a bunch of people at PRI, and they're like, "Oh, so we're enjoying our time off." And I'm like, "Yeah, your time off ended like two weeks ago, right?" I mean, if you're if you're if you're sprint car racing and you're you know if you're not only sprint car racing or midget racing, you were just out west, like. You, you still have stuff to clean in the shop or clean out the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're indoor racing, you just ran uh, indoor at St. Louis with the late model was modified. Um, if you're wing racing, yeah, you've been done since the, what, maybe the end of October, early November from the world finals, you know, but like I've got clients right now and we, we have cars being wrapped to go to Chili Bowl as, as, as early as next mm. week. So, um, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you guys, our last race was September 11th weekend, I believe. Like, I'm I'm kind of ready to go racing here. Like, I've been bored. You guys have been off for a long time, for sure. Well, they say it's uh, idle hands of the devil's playground. 
you know, if they if yep. they want this silly season stuff to, to stop, then I recommend they give us a longer season. Because right now, it's just giving people time to sit around in their shops, piss each other off, and fire this one, hire that one, or whatever it may be. Yeah, September to March is a long duration of time to be off. And like you said, there's there's a lot of opportunities there. There's, you know, F1's racing, NASCAR's racing, multiple series. Uh, there's a lot of different things happening. Are there any talks at all about maybe a um, schedule expansion, if you will? Or we've, it, I think on the competition side, we've all pushed for it. Um, okay. You know, it, a lot of us just don't like it. It's, yeah. You know, they and I, I understand some aspects. I don't want to go up against NFL Sundays. Well, that's whatever. I get it. Let's go run that's a tough. Friday night show. Yeah. Um, you know, like, let's just keep thinking outside the box. I mean, I don't understand why, and I'm pulling it up here because I don't want to speak out of turn, but we go to St. Pete March 5th, and we don't run again until April 2nd. Right. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Right? There's From a April lot of build-up to that. You know, mm-hmm. we go to Texas, and then from there we have a weekend off. Then it's Long Beach, weekend off, Barber, weekend off, month of May. And it's just like – and but what sucks is once we get through with Barber, I mean, it is a wide-open, flat-out run, right? We go Barber, mm-hmm. weekend off, month of May to Detroit is four straight weekends. Weekend off, Road America, weekend off, Mid-Ohio, weekend off, Toronto, Iowa, weekend off, Nashville, Indy, weekend off, St. Louis, Portland, Laguna, back-to-back-to-back, and then we're done September 10th. Wow. Yeah. So like you're so saying, is it what, 20 races, 20 races a, a year? 17, 17 rounds. 17. So for us, we say 36 is too many um, or 37 weekends, including uh, you know, Clash, All-Star. Uh, what do you see as a realistic number in IndyCar? I would love to see 21, 22 rounds. I think that's that's the right kind of hold, you know. Um we have opportunities. Like one thing I don't understand is why we don't run, or why why do we do some of this stuff in the heat of the summer, right? I mean, Iowa is a, is an awesome racetrack. It produces great racing. Yet we're doing it when it's 110 degrees outside, and it sucks. No, like it, no, nobody enjoys that from the fans to the no. the people working in it. No, either. I mean, last year, you know, the promoters they brought they brought in all these acts, and High V stepped up, and you know. Blake Which Shelton was, cool to was see. there and all this, all these music, it was cool, but also like it's 109 degrees without the heat index. Like, what are we doing? And why are we not going and racing under the lights on these ovals? What the heck is, yeah. why in the world have we gone to day races or twilight races? Like throw the green flag at eight o'clock at night. Correct. You know, I want yeah. Iowa race. should always be a night race. hundred percent. In fact, it should be a Friday night race. Or I, like that. I like that a lot. They should not yeah. go against Saturday night at Knoxville Raceway because I'll be honest with you. I went this year. I did it. We ran second at Iowa on Saturday. I went down, did my job, changed clothes, met up with Georgia Henneberry in the parking lot, and we hauled ass to Knoxville. Um, grabbed ourselves a six pack of beer and some spicy chicken nuggets. And there you go. quality. And it was like, I'm in heaven. Yep. It wasn't too hot. The sun wasn't killing me, and we were watching race cars. And, like, I'll never understand why we race in the daytime there. I just I just don't get it. So one thing uh, I should have done out of the gate, you know, uh, and I apologize for not, but for those that are listening to the show for the first time and, and getting to hear you, mind just speaking about, you know, what you do on the IndyCar side and, uh, 
kind of what you do from a week to week basis, you know, obviously when the races are going and uh, how you got into motorsports, just for the listening audience. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris Wheeler, I live in Indianapolis, 36 years old. Um, I own a company called Wheeler Motorsports Consulting. Uh, we look after a handful of drivers in various um, parts of their racing career. Um, we work with a bunch of different drivers on just the consulting side, none of the management, not, nothing, but more or less like, you know, it's all personal relationship stuff. They'll ask me for project help on this or that. Um, you know, we, um, we consult with teams, teams and partners for the most part into, uh, just kind of helping them with projects, right? The sports car teams looking to find two or three talented young silver rated drivers for IMSA. All right, well, here's, we're going to run a, we're going to do an evaluation on some stuff and we're going to give you the, who we think the three best are for what you need. Um, client experience, things like that. Um, for 18 years, I've spotted in the, in the IndyCar series. Um, and so it, uh, that's a fairly long run. That's, that's an 18 years, a long time. Yeah. I'm about over it. I'm not going to lie. It, uh, <laughs> actually, I left Aaron McLaren SP at the end of the season. I was working with Powder Award. Love the kid to death. Um, I just aligning myself and what I've got going on um, wasn't going to work with the uh, the leadership in England and how they operate. And so a lot of great people over there. And um, so I left and uh, haven't still haven't actually figured out what I'm going to do next year. Um, okay. I've got to, you know, just kind of hanging out, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm trying to figure a lot of that stuff out, but um you know, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. You know, I started racing because my dad raced off-road cars when I lived in Southern California, where I'm from. Uh, did my first race with the Mickey Thompson Off-Road Indoor Series at, I want to say the Rose Bowl was my first race um, with that series on a Pee Wee 50 for Bob Gordon and the, the Ultra Custom Wheels team, which was Robbie's Robbie Gordon's late father. Um, okay. Grew yep. up in the desert. Parents had a graphics company. Got an IndyCar racing, moved us to Indiana, and when I was like six or seven, and they were they did pretty much eighty percent of all graphics and IndyCar racing for twenty two years on the road. They did it on site at the track, and then they had their office in Indianapolis, which is actually in our home. Where they never went out and got a big warehouse. They just it was the basement was the decal shop, and um, they're the first ones to wrap an IndyCar, wrap pit equipment, wrap a transporter. Um, they helped Ganassi get set up when they decided that they were going to start wrapping cup cars in house. So they did that for a long time. And then every kid with a liberal arts degree and, uh, parents with good credit could go buy a printer at one point. And the market got so oversaturated that they said, this is stupid. They sold everything at the perfect time and moved to Florida, moved to North Florida to Amelia Island where the, you get four seasons, the ocean and golf. Okay. That's not bad. So your family's been involved with uh, IndyCar for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, along with yourself, that's all, that's all I've known, right, is to go yeah. You know, um, they did everything they could, bless them, to get me to not do this. But uh, but here we are. You know, they've since then, they, although my family brought me here, my parents, my sister have all left. They've all gone to Florida. I'm the only one. They, they dropped me off in the frozen tundra and bailed on me, pretty much. What's, what's um, you know, I talked to a lot of spotters in – you know, the cup series, obviously, but I, there's very few that I get to talk to or that have done IndyCar. Uh, have you done any, any stuff outside of IndyCar? Have you done yeah. any NASCAR stuff? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a decent amount of truck races um, before all the licensing stuff got that much more difficult where you, you know, there was a time when 
truck races would be standalone and they'd be with IndyCar or with nobody, you know, and some of the mid-pack teams would come over to our side in the morning and introduce themselves and say, hey, I got cash. We do the truck race, you know. Um, we wanted Iowa and ARCA. I think it was called ARCA with Mason Mitchell. We adored uh, Austin Sindrick to get the win there, which was great because Tim Sindrick was about 10 feet from me on the spotter stand shaking his head. <laughs> um, you know, did some truck racing with Bobby Dodder and then did, some, did a lot with J.J. Yaley. Um, Texas, Kansas, Kentucky, places like that. How hard is it to go from series to series or discipline to discipline? Um, you know, um, those those vehicles you just listed are nothing like an Indy car. Uh, the the rate of speed and and all of the other things that go with the, with those open wheel cars. Yeah, the hardest part is just learning some of the nuances of the sport. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't know what a plug check was. My first truck race, had no idea. I didn't yeah. realize that everybody on the radio was called Buddy. No clue. No. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but it's it's just a lot of the little stuff, and it's really just training yourself to slow down, right? So we're at Texas. We've got trucks and IndyCar. Well, the IndyCar's running 220, three wide, and you are getting it. And everything is like, if you're not almost saying it before it happens and you're not saying it fast enough. The truck race, man, these things start to spin, and they just keep going like you have time to like stop have a sandwich get back in the truck and get through the carnage before the smoke clears <laughs> um you know i've also done some a lot of imsa stuff did a lot of stuff with mike shank early on won the so it would have been 2000 and it been january of 2012 we won the overall with almondinger justin wilson john Pugh, and osnegri um so the overall daytona 24 there was the 50th did a handful did a bunch of races for them actually and i've done quite a few with lexus um Vassar Sullivan, they're there in Charlotte um, with their program and, and Jimmy and Sully, which I know from the IndyCar side, worked with them for several years. That's kind of why they brought me there. And when we did IndyCar together, they also had a rallycross team. So I did a lot of Red Bull rallycross also, which it's kind of funny because, you know, <laughs> of all the disciplines I've done in spotting, IndyCar is probably the one where it's least respected. Um, you know, it's and still very... That? Exactly. Just so many of these guys just there's just people that look at it as just an expense. Okay. Um, you know, and so IndyCar has an attitude problem across the board where they would rather just bitch about something than embrace something. And that's mm -hmm. just, that's just the honest culture with a lot of people. Luckily, a lot of those people are getting old and they're being forced out um, in forms of retirement. And hopefully the next wave, you know, that, that we're actively a part of right now is going to, help elevate the sport. Um, it's going to be a process, but, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully we get there. But, you know, IMSA treats their spotters great. You know, they put a lot of a lot of responsibility on them, and, and it's because it's they can do it. Um, you know, NASCAR is different. I mean, spotters down there are superstars, right? I mean, absolute superstars. They have their own merch lines, for crying out loud. Um, and then on the flip side, Rallycross, the spotter's the only person on the radio. So you're the strategist. You're coordinating with the team that's back in the pits. You're taught you're, you're you're the psychologist to the driver when shit goes wrong. Um, you're literally everything. You're allowed one person on the spotter stand, which is the top of a makeshift tower. They're the only person that can, has a radio that can talk to the driver. They can listen to you. And you like I used to run a couple radios. I had a car radio to the driver, I had a crew radio to the crew chief, um, and then I had race control. And basically, crew chief would ask a question, and I'd try and relay it in the race when possible. But six laps. Joker lanes, jumps, carnage, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to do much of that, but 
we had a lot of fun. We got a win at Washington DC, I think, with Nelson PK Jr. And you know, we just it was good. Yeah. So uh, you know, one reason why I really wanted to have you on is uh, you know, I'm pretty vocal on social media about the safety aspect in short track racing or motorsports as a whole. Uh, and you know, our, our friend Matt Weaver here uh, about six months ago told me you you really need to sit down and talk with uh, with Wheeler because he's he's pretty much on the same page. So um, you know, I grew up building cars at the late mile stock and the short track level for in the southeast, and, and a lot of things I saw were horrifying to say the least. And, and a lot of things I still see when I go to the track these days. And uh, you know, from with all the trickle down technology we see from shocks, springs, setups, aerodynamic stuff. To see so little of it end up in a safety aspect is kind of disgusting in a point for me. And, you know, the, the lack of knowledge or, or effort into to making a lot of this great technology make its way in the short track when it's when it's about something like safety that's so important um, is really important to me. So, um, you know, I, again, I want to kind of hear your opinion on this or, or what your thoughts are or, or really why, you know, Matt Weaver told me to come speak with you. Yeah, I mean, Matt and I have had a couple conversations on it. it. You know, I ran the motorsports stuff for Bell Helmets for several years um, at every level from a street stock side to the IndyCar side. You know, I was in the trenches with Dave Kinney over at Penske Racing. We developed the, the, um, the LTWT Cup Helmet with Penske, which I think on the Stuart Haas side, I think that's the one Chase Briscoe would wear now. Right, so go find his only carbon LTWT when you're in the shop next, and pick that thing up compared to literally anything else. Um, you know, and the reason we did it was because these guys were taking such a big hit to the head. Because I mean, at the end of the day, a cup car is still, still is, and always will be a massive brick of shit that goes way too fast. And so when it hits on some of these ovals, man, it it just it rings everything that that's connected to you. Um, you know, there was a spell there. Was it uh, Roush had a deal at the time? I'm sure they still do. If they recorded more than 30 or 35 G's to the car uh, or to the driver capsule um, in a hit, you know, the seat got replaced, uh, the knee knockers got replaced, and the helmet got sent for inspection. Well, you know, at the time, Bell, with the program I had at Bell, we were the only ones that you could send a helmet to inspection. We're the only ones that you could actually get on the phone with the guy that not only handles the marketing, the sponsorship, the activation, the social media, but also handled building of the helmets. Um, and that was me. And so, man, Stenthouse went for a series there. Like, we had seven helmets come back in one year for him. You know, but they all, they were all sound. Um, and so, massive amount of passion for safety. I, I think... People have always asked me, what's the hardest thing to do with safety? And what's the hardest part to do? It's not coming up with what we're going to do next. It's not the testing. It's not the ideology of it. It's not building and designing new products. The hardest part is educating consumers. The consumer education is 100%. And, and you know, I use the phrase carding dads a lot. There's a lot of carding dads in, in, in motorsports. And carding dads are the ones that start on, let's just say you're racing on a, on a, on a go-kart track and it's clockwise configuration. And this dad goes to the the turn one side of the pit bot, pit lane and starts his kid with the stopwatch and then walks to the other end of the pit lane and stops his kid with the stopwatch. He took out about 250 feet and then he's walking around showing everybody how fast his kid is. Right? That, that's, that's a carding dad. These people will, will, will mortgage their homes to get an advantage on the racetrack with performance 
but they don't think twice about the safety. They'll go to Walmart and buy a DOT helmet and think that it's going to work for their kid. And then the minute their kid gets thrown from the cart because he has no talent and gets hurt, then he's going to threaten to sue everybody. And it's like, wait a second. What's more important here, right? So we there's an old, old, old saying at Bell that I brought back for a lot of our marketing and activation, and that was if you've got a $10 head, wear a $10 helmet. Um, and that's exactly, it means exactly how it sounds. Um, you know, there's so much junk in the market when it comes to safety gear. There's so much just junk. But people say, oh, hell, I can't afford one of them nice helmets. Well, somehow you afforded to bring you, your girlfriend, seven kids, three dogs, 14 cousins, and buy pit passes for everybody. You have four new, you have four new tires and a $40,000 motor in your shit box. But let's not worry about a $1,200 helmet that's going to help you go home at night to see them all again. Yeah, I always say if you if you can't afford to be safe, you can't afford to race, which is yeah. you know, right online exactly well, what you're saying here. And this is one of those things where social media hurts us. A kid, you know, I think his name was Tyler Carpenter. He's a nice kid. He won the dome a couple years ago. He got a he got a free shot in the truck with Nice, I think. Um, but he gets out of the car in victory lane at the dome, not this not a couple weeks ago, but the year before. Wearing like Crocs or Hey, hey dudes. dudes or something. Hey dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He got out of the car after winning wearing it wearing a set of hey dudes. Like, like what are we doing? But everybody thinks it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh... Look at this guy. And it's like, cool. Here's Rick Mears' phone number. Here's Davey Hamilton's phone number. Call these two and ask them what it's like to have feet that are completely destroyed. Right? The amount of physical pain that they are in every day of life. You know, ask them how it is, how cool this is. And so, um, you know, just about a year and a half ago, I started a new company with Leighton Crouch. Leighton owns Buddy Kofoid's uh, World of Outlaw Sprint Car. And his son, Brennan Crouch, drives for Keith Coons um, and Toyota in the midget program and runs his 360 and 410 wing car along with Buddy when he can. Um, we have a company called Carbon Safety Technologies. And Carbon Safety, it's, you know, we're, we're the Arai helmet dealer in Indy. Um, we're the HRX suit dealer in Indy, doing bringing that product from Italy um, through CR Cruises, the importer, and, and doing a lot in the dirt world with it, um, which is a challenge, right? Most of these guys are used to wearing heavy suits with embroidery and boot cuff and, you know, the Jacquesville new fit. And I've got a product that's very slim fit and uh, it's worn by Europeans. But, you know, we're gaining traction there. You know, I've told people for a long time, there's, there's a handful of helmets I support. If you're not wearing an Arai, a Bell, and a, like a Pro Series Bell, not the Bell K1, not the Bell Sport. If you're wearing those, I don't want to hear it. Um, but I'm talking a Pro-Line Bell, an Arai, or a Stillo. And the Stillo is even questionable a bit. Like, I, I think it's a good helmet, and it is better now than it was five years ago. Even though it doesn't look any different, they have fixed some of the fitting. But those are the three safest helmets in the world. If you want to go get a shoe berth, cool, but it's going to cost you a fortune um, uh, because there's and they're not readily available. So I don't really count them as a big box store item. Um, but anybody that's listening, if you're not wearing one of those three types of helmets, then you really need to take a look. You know, when it comes to suits, honestly, there's only a, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot. Like I wouldn't wear a pyrotech. I wouldn't wear, you know, um, a, a safe race or whatever some of these ones are. We can tell they come out of some warehouse in Pakistan. They're all the same. It's just they change one logo on the embroidery file. Um, but honestly, 
things like um I'm trying to remember the guy there's a guy that has a product he sells like zamp helmets and I uh, can't even remember the name of the type of his suit but he's just a big snake oil salesman right oh yeah alpine star actually makes our suits you know they're the hmm. velocity velocity suits and zamp helmets and he tells people bell makes his helmets and um you know the big european ma- uh, manufacturers make his suits and it's like I've seen more people hurt and, and maimed in, in the product, and people just buy it because for seven ninety nine you can get a full custom suit. You know, we can put all, all the flames, barbed wire, checkered flags on it you want. And it just it kills me to see it. You know, there was one thing, Chris, that you mentioned, and it was uh it was about the G's, uh, and how then they take some of the stuff back. You know, Brian, we had a lot of accidents this year in NASCAR. Um, you know, a couple concussions. Kurt Busch obviously wrecked the Pocono, retired early from his career. Alex Bowman at Texas, where the IndyCar races as well. Uh, and he had a concussion due to just there were a couple massive hits. I mean, Ross Chastain, how he walked away from his car without any dam or any, um, you know, internal damage, if you will, uh, from Auto Club. Uh, do you guys get any reports like that? You know, what are some of those G counts, if you will, kind of like what Chris was saying? Yeah, I, I haven't heard any, you know, I, I, we get numbers here and there, and I, I can't remember them exactly. But, uh, you know, again, he brought up Stenhouse that, that year. And, you know, there there's a lot of them that are above 35, which is a massive, massive hit. And, uh, again, yeah, you have to send those, uh, those seats back. You have to double-check the belts, make sure that, you know, because they stretch on impact. So, you know, so there's certain, certain hits where you just automatically replace those belts um, you know, replace those leg boards or uh, send the seats back to Hendrick or, or Fiberworks or wherever the manufacturer is to, to have them double checked. So, uh, yeah, it, it's the same really from top to bottom on the things you need to check, you know, the, the seat rails, the bolts, all these things need to be replaced after an impact, you know, not even quite that high. Really any impact, you know, that uh bends a clip or has some serious damage to the car that you need to go through these items and double check that they are uh, available, uh, you know, willing to go through the same hit or more again. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the big things um, is that people in motorsports don't understand their responsibilities, right? So as an Indy car spotter, it, I carry a ton of responsibility. If you're a NASCAR spotter, if, if you're, if you're a professional spotter, um, even some of the amateur spotters, because some of those you got to think about the 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 lower the level of racing, the the worse they're put together. But I mean, I can tell you that the amount of responsibility on me as an IndyCar spotter is, is massive, especially in the ovals. And it's because at Texas they're going two twenty. I'm standing a quarter mile away with a, with a naked eye. I'm not using binoculars on a mile and a half. And when I say clear, and it's maybe by six inches, and he turns left, he better damn well be clear. Um, I, I take responsibility for his safety for the other 23 drivers on track safety for the people in the stand safety for the safety workers safety and it's not just me every person that touches that race car takes on that responsibility every bolt every 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 zip tie is in the right space everything that's supposed to be heat shrunk and, and heat wrapped and protected is, is protected every o-ring is, is properly placed and bedded. And it's for that same exact reason, right? I mean, these are people's lives in your hand. And it goes all the way down 
to a front wheel drive hobby stock, whatever at Anderson Speedway. And that's what people don't understand is that when you're driving that hobby stock, you are responsible or you're working on it. You are responsible for the person driving it, the other people on the track, the fans, the safety workers. You know, one of those shit boxes breaks up and or blows up. That's going to happen. But if you don't have a firewall in there, right, or you don't have the proper quick release stuff for your driver, you know, things go wrong. That car heads to the infield. Now you have innocent bystanders standing there and they can't get out of the way, out of the way fast enough. And to your point about, you know, it's, it's kind of also for me, I feel it's our job as people in, you know, the upper ranks of the sport, the cup series, the IndyCar series, um, you know, the weather tech series that we take the things we learn, we, and we are able to, again, allow that technology and to trickle down to, to the ranks throughout, throughout motorsports worldwide, whether it be short tracks, uh, you know, uh, SCCA events or, or any of that, but, you know, you go to these short tracks, you go around the country, how do we implement this technology to your point? It's all about educating and, and showing and displaying what should be done because a lot of times it's not that you, they can't do it. It's just, they don't know how to install a seat, what, uh, you know, helmet to get, you know, there's, there's no real good organization that is just walking around and educating these young racers or these racers throughout the country. I just don't know where you start to, to implement this stuff. Well, it, it gets super difficult, right? Because at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing. It's all money. Every aspect of it's money driven. And it's, you know, hey, we want to implement these new rules. Hell, War of Outlaws, not too long ago after Jason Johnson's death, they introduced another safety bar in the car. Oh, other than five or six teams, everybody's arms are in the air. Well, what about my 30 years of notebook, my notes? Well, I can't afford new chassis. What about the local guy whose annual dream is to try and qualify for a World of Outlaws show? He can't afford a new car. Well, I was proud of the World Race Group for, for implementing that and saying, we don't care. This is the move that we feel needs to be safer. This is what we're doing for our safety. So deal with it. Right? And so it, it's double-edged. There's the money side, which is all about somebody's going to Somebody's somebody has to get paid. Somebody has to exchange money. You know, oh, we don't have we can't hire a tech guy. We can't hire somebody qualified. Can't afford to have somebody out here to make sure these cars are done in, in the right way. Well, we can't afford to have somebody rewrite the rule book. Oh, well, if we rewrite the rule book, we're just going to push away our people and they're just going to go start another series somewhere else and they're going to tell us to, to pound sand, right? So there's all these different variables and it always comes down to one thing, which is money. The other aspect of it, what I've found somewhat to be you know a thing is sanctioning bodies aren't real sanctioning bodies anymore unless you're indycar where you own yourself and your rights or you are nascar which is owns themselves and imsa you know but most people are scared of the liability hmm. they're scared to put in a rule book that this is mandatory because if it's mandatory and you still die they don't want to get sued because people have forgotten about the fact that warning driving race cars is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, back in the day, sex was safe and racing or racing. Yeah. Sex was safe and racing was dangerous. Now they've got it in their head that, that you're bulletproof, right? Racing's so safe. It's so great. 
Well, they probably lied to the parents to get the kid in the go-kart because they wanted to make the money to tell them how safe it was. They got them addicted because it's worse than hookers, cocaine, or anything else you can think of. Motorsports is the most addictive thing in the world. And here they are, and they're, you know, mom and dad are working four jobs combined to try and buy tires for this thing, for this their kid to get this opportunity. But he's borrowing a helmet from Uncle Larry that was out of certification seven years ago. And the local track, they don't, they just don't care. They don't hmm. check because they don't have a volunteer for that. And that's where the problems come in. You know, NHRA is actually a great example on how to do it right. So NHRA has all these tiers, right? They have the NHRA National Series. They have all these tiers of regionals and locals. And if you want to compete at any of them, here's the rules. Period. Right? And so they you show up to the U.S. Nationals out here at Indianapolis Raceway Park. And, you know, it's the big go. Everybody wants to be there. There's over, you know, a couple thousand cars around the property because they run literally every class of NHRA racing. But you got to go through tech. And your shit's got to be done to the book or you're done. You're not allowed. And so they've done the probably the best job of all of racing of just unifying that top to bottom. So one question that I have for you, because we know the arrow screen, uh, you know, got implemented in IndyCar not too long ago. What other safety uh, measures is the sport maybe looking to change going into 2023? Did you guys have any anything kind of come up like NASCAR did where, you know, safety was a major talking point? Did you guys have anything like that uh, kind of in your season of 2022? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that they're doing is they're, um, they've rebuilt the headrest and the head surround. They've made it taller. Okay. Um you know, ramp angle and, and and ramp measurement in a NASCAR seat is really big, right? And that's the distance between the helmet and the seat. Um, and the more ramp you have, then the, the more velocity your head can pick up um, before impact to then bounce and gain speed and bounce again. Where if you have it shortened down, right, then it's, it's going to kind of slow it down sooner. Um, and what we saw in IndyCar is with the aero screen, drivers are now sitting at an all-time high in the car. So before they used to be, they used to be used to want to be as low as you could to get your head out of the way of it. And a lot of these guys, you know, they made a career. Takuma Sato, one of them, he made a career being, yeah, he's this, he was usually the smallest, shortest person in the car in the series, but man, he sat so low. I didn't know what he could see. And honestly, some of the shit he's done over the years, I was, I wasn't shocked by it because I figured he probably just didn't see it. Well, now with the arrow screen, he's got himself so high and it's, you know, we don't have power steering in an Indy car. And so the more leverage you can have on the wheel and be comfortable, the better you're going to be able to hold on to the race car for a longer duration. And so guys are getting higher, higher, higher. Well, Sato hit the wall. He's so high. He hit the wall at Toronto, I think. And his head, if you look in slow-mo, his head is pretty much above the headrest. And so now we're thinking, okay, wait a second. Something's wrong. So Terry Trammell, uh, who's just an all-time legend of motorsports safety, um, he uh, he and the group at IndyCar have redesigned the headrest. It's going to be taller. I think it's going to have even more up-to-date energy re- um, energy absorption padding in it. Um, and the whole goal of that is if these guys want to sit up higher, that's fine. Let them sit higher. But we still got to find a way to keep them safe in the process. And so, you know, it's just whether it's the aero screen era of IndyCar or the next-gen car, it, the downside is we can we can think in theory what we need to do to build a race car as safe as possible. But unfortunately, until we hit a couple walls and we have a couple bad situations, we're always going to be learning. That should be accepted. What's not acceptable, though, in that process is 
the closed mindedness that we, that we find ourselves in sometimes where it's, they start weighing, you know, the convenience factor of the update to the, to the severity. And Mm -hmm. I think we can, we can say that we've seen that in every form of racing, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not going to name any names. There's a guy in NASCAR um, that we were talking about safety with. We made it. I think we had a big meeting with a, a large group of people at the R&D center one day. And one of them just stood up and he goes, Hey, you guys didn't give a shit until we killed the greatest to ever do it. Hmm. And now all of a sudden you guys are experts or there's still people that were looking into the safety long before you were, and they're going to be here long after you are. Why are you so closed off? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a valid point. I mean, NASCAR has done a great job since the loss of Dylan Hurt Senior. But uh, you you can't. That's that's the thing you can't you cannot lift off the throttle. Correct. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And I think one of the the really cool things about doing this podcast uh, is conversations like this. You know, where we can talk about different forms of motorsports, especially from you know inside the sport. Uh, which you elegantly, you know, we're talking about you and Brian both. And, uh, you know, I know we're kind of up the, uh, against the clock here. One thing I wanted to kind of touch on, and we'll have to have you on again, because there are topics that we didn't really get to touch on yet. And I know you're off season, as you said, you're kind of, you know, evaluating what uh, maybe your next step is. So we'll definitely have to keep in touch. But I'm curious, one thing I read about was you're the co-owner of a uh, remote control racing oh. uh, team. Uh, talk about that real quick if you have a, a minute or two. Yeah, man, I got time for that. I got time. So Felix Rosenquist, uh, he drives for Aaron McLaren in IndyCar. This is, so I I tell people, you know, I mess up and down, not around. And this is the prime example. So Felix texts me and goes, hey, what do you know about RC cars? I messed with them a long time ago when I was younger. I had buddies that raced them, dabbled in them, whatever. I, I'd be interested in for about a month, two months, and then I'd be tired of it, move on, sell it for a fraction of the price that I spent on it, and, and keep digging. Well, so Felix hits me up. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I got a buddy that races. Like, let's go check it out. So he was like, yeah, cool. So I, we go down to the southeast side of Indy to Turf Burners. My friend Jamie Farrell has a track down there, indoor carpet off-road. It's about a year ago now, actually. And so I go down there and I'm like, cool. And this, this will be fun. Maybe it was, maybe it was after the holidays. And so, you know, my buddy was down there with his kid and they've got all these cars and trucks. And I mean, they've got shit coming out of every box and you're like, wow, this reminds me of carting. I already don't like it. Um, and so they said, Hey, which one do you guys want to drive? So Felix and I are like, uh, we did, we just wanted to watch. Well, we get out there and we'd run some practice laps, and I was like, "Oh my god, the technology is unbelievable." I mean, it's almost like you're you're almost like traction bound um, with these things, right? I mean, it's if you lift too much, you're gonna flip because there's so much grip in these tires and in the carpet. Uh, but you're sending these things over a 25 foot jump triple. Um, it's just it was mayhem, and at that moment, I was like, "Well, I'm gonna let Felix keep practicing, and I'm gonna walk over t- to the." to the little uh, hobby shop here and I'm just going to buy a car. Well, RC cars aren't what they used to be. They're not ready to run necessarily at that level. I opened this thing up and it looked like one of those new Lego technique sets. And I was like, <laughs> you had well, to put it together. I'll see you guys in a month. So I bought a car that night, uh, a kit and mm-hmm. we left and Felix is like, man, I don't know. I'm like, well, tell me before I open this thing. Cause I can return it or sell it, whatever. And he was like, the next morning he woke up and he's like, Hey, 
get me a car. Like, are you sure? He's like, he's like, let's just send it. I'll split the cost with you. Let's just, I, I can't be bothered to deal with what we need. Just you go get us the best of everything and find out what we need. And let me know when it's here and I'll come down and we'll build. So I spent the next three or four days, literally, I mean, dude, um, Capital One called me twice. And they're like, uh, Mr. That's Wheeler, funny. we just want to make sure that everything's okay. We've seen an excessive amount of spending on your Capital One venture. I'm like, yeah, it's all good. A-Main Hobbies, yeah. Horizon Hobbies, Discount RC, Bob's RC. Absolutely. Um, and so he came to my office Um because in my office building in, in Brownsburg, Indiana, we have a showroom for carbon safety and one room of like inventory. And there's another office that was empty. It was holding boxes. And then my consulting office is upstairs in the mezzanine. Um, and so I took that spare office. And now it's an RC shop and a baseball cart shop or where I do all my baseball cart shows. But um, we, uh, we just started reading the manual and figuring it out. Wow. And um, Felix raced in Japan for a long time, and he loves how Japanese announcers say side by side. They don't; they're not like, you know, us. We're like, oh, you got two cars side by side here in turn four. They're like, oh, he's side by side. And so, side by side racing yep. was born. Um, then Cole Jagger from McLaren. Um, he's the inside tire, inside rear tire changer. Sorry, outside rear tire changer for Pato Award, and he was my roommate the last two years. He's like, dude, I haven't done this in years. I'm in. So he went and bought a car. Callum Eilat showed up. He got a car. Um, Wits Bearings, I'm friends with them. Do some stuff with them. We're on the Chili Bowl. And they're like, yo, we're in. What do you need? I'm like, I don't know. Tell me what do I need. So they sent us a box of motors and turnbuckles and fans. Um, Troy Lee was like, yo, like send us a clear body and we'll paint it. And we'll send you guys all the swag you want. Wow. We have like Troy Lee gear head to toe. Um, <laughs> he, he paints Felix's helmets. Um, and actually, we're switching chassis. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work with Horizon Hobby. Um, Horizon Hobby sponsors uh, Michael McDowell. And um, I think he was on one of the DGR kind of front row combo trucks this year. Um, and so we're going to do some cool stuff with them around the Chili Bowl. But they're gonna they're gonna sponsor Team Side by Side. Oh, so we're switching over to TLR, which is Team Losi Racing, which Horizon owns. Um, right now, we're in the process. So actually, um, I've got to go to my office tomorrow, and I've got somebody coming by to look at buying all three of the cars we currently have. And so we'll be out with those cars and all the spares and all the stuff for that. And then uh, uh, the TLR should be showing up hopefully next week because Felix gets back early January from his uh, holiday in Monaco. Man, we've got some races to go run. We're we're talking about an RC team, right? <laughs> Dude, this is it. Do we have a shock, yeah. shock dino, shock vacuum, engine dino? Wow, I'm glad I asked the question. I didn't expect all of that, but I'm glad that uh, yeah, you definitely produced. I think you're. I think you might be the most interesting man in IndyCar. I, it's, there's a good chance, but no, they're ten scale buggies, two wheel drive buggies. Um. One of the funniest things is we took the McLaren had these five college engineering interns this summer and we invited them to come out to the RC track one night. And so they came out and they had notebooks. They'd already, they'd found the setup guides and the, and the setup books online. And like, it was cool. Like I'd come in from a, from a practice run and be like, all right, look, I have massive understeer center off. And they're like, well, 
technically if we we can do a roll center change or we could just do a shock position change on the front i'm like hey i'm just driving it and telling you what i feel it's your call all right and they got to work on the cars and then at the end of the night after them giving a shit all night long including gavin ward who came from pinsky and he was a vettel race engineer at one point um he's like man why you're giving up so much you know so much ground on your you're cheating your entry here doing this and i said all right buddy here's the controller he went out there, came in, he's like, dude, it is so hard to just keep it between the lines. I'm like, yeah. But but you say you say interesting, honestly. Um, I'm 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 massively deep, like I'm Titanic deep in baseball cards and sports okay. cards. So I actually also run my own baseball card show on, on whatnot app. So yeah, I think you are the most interesting man uh in, in the uh, IndyCar series. Um wow, that's uh that's impressive stuff. Uh, Brian, I'm sure you didn't expect all that tonight. No, that was, uh, you know, I know he's got to go, but again, uh, what a fantastic episode. And I really like chatting about the safety side. Would love to have you back on again. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on for sure. No, thank you guys. Anytime. Just let me know. It, uh, it's not golf season right now, so I've always got time to jump on with you guys. How can everybody best support you on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, Chris? Yeah, man, just hop on Twitter. It's Duck Chris Wheeler. Uh, same as Instagram. That's private, but if you don't look like a serial killer, I'll approve you. Um, or don't look like an ex-girlfriend, then you're, you're safe. Um, my Facebook, honestly, is super boring. Um, I put nothing of context on it because it's just too too much drama for me. But, uh, but yeah, that's really it. And you awesome. and Marshall are about to jump on Twitter Spaces right now, which is you guys do this every Wednesday night at seven thirty, right? Uh, so actually, we don't go live till eight. Uh, but yeah, eight. off season, we're on Twitter Spaces, the hashtag Racing Family Show with Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com and myself. Off seasons on Wednesdays at eight p.m. Uh, Eastern, five Pacific. But then during the season, we'll go back to a Monday show um, where you. You never know what you're going to get there. I mean, after the Texas race last year, New Garden, McLaughlin, and Power all got on. And Marshall and I didn't talk for like 40 minutes because they were all talking like just buddies talking about different parts of the race because they never actually all got to see each other after the race. That's a like, pretty oh, cool man, That was mega. You did that on that second stop. I saw you doing this, and then I caught you, and we did that. That was cool. We just we just sat back. Um but no, it's been massive. It's been massive. We've had a, we've had like almost seven hundred thousand um, people listen in. Wow. You know, and so uh, the 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 lucky part for me is that it's Marshall, right? I mean, he's gonna be he's definitely one of the top media people in motorsports in America, and he's de- he's done a phenomenal job with his own podcast, the Marshall Pro Podcast. And so this little show that I'm a part of, he saves and then puts on his podcast website. So I get super lucky with it. Wow. Well, I'll definitely check it out. And I think everybody should as well. I listened to the last two episodes, uh, really looking forward to, uh, tonight's episode on uh, Wednesday. So December 14th. So, uh, Chris, thank you again for uh, joining us. Thank you guys. Enjoy it. Um, if I don't talk to you beforehand, have a great holidays and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Go Trojans fight on. And that will conclude this episode of All Things Go. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to follow Chris Wheeler on all his available social media content as well. For Brian Murphy, I'm Derek Yoder, and we'll catch you next time for Episode 6.